This morning's message comes out of two conversations I've had over the past few weeks with church leaders. Because when church leaders talk at the minute, one of the main questions we're asking is this. So have you reopened yet? Are you reopening? And I've had two almost identical conversations in the last few weeks. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a church leader. And both of these lead independent churches. They're not part of a denomination. And I said, so have you reopened yet? And the first one a few weeks ago said this to me. He said, no, we're waiting on permission from the government. And I said, you do know that you've already got permission from the government. And he said, no, we don't. And I said, believe me, I know. I have had to check on numerous occasions in the last number of weeks. And I can absolutely 100% hand on heart say to you, we have permission from the government to meet. And on Friday night, I was on with another church leader uh, and exactly the same conversation. He said, it was almost like a secret and uh, you know, wonderful guy. But he said, Craig, I've heard we might be able to open on Easter Sunday. And I said, I've heard you're able to open this Sunday. You know, and obviously I'm not saying they have to. It is complete. Every church has to make their own decisions within the the, the boundaries and framework that they have. But what I'm saying is this, and, and this is where God started to speak to me, that many people and many Christians are waiting for permission for something that they've already been given permission for. Many Christians are waiting for God to say yes when God has already said yes. Many Christians are waiting for a green light when God is saying this to you, permission granted. That's the title of my message today, permission granted. God would say to you, have I ever told you not to do it? Then permission granted. It's up to you. And the reason I'm preaching this this morning is because I, I keep meeting Christians who love God in their 40s, 50s, 60s, even 70s, and they talk with some sorrow in their voice about things they wanted to do with their life and things they would love to do and things they've always had a passion to do, but they just haven't done it because they've been waiting for permission. They've been praying and praying and praying about it and they haven't had clarity. They've been waiting for permission from somebody else. And they're waiting and they're waiting. And I believe God would say to them and to us, permission granted. Let me be clear what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying permission granted to sin, okay? Before anybody says that. If this book says it's wrong, don't do it. Not a complicated one. Don't need to pray about it. It's black and white. If this book says don't do it, you don't do it. And if you do do it, it doesn't work out well for you, okay? So what I am not saying is permission granted to sin. There are some issues that are black and white. But what I am talking about is where there's things that you have been carrying in your heart. Things that God has stirred in your soul for a while. I would love to start a ministry to this group of people. I would love to do this job. I would love to live in this area. I would love to serve in this area. I would love to take up this new hobby or sport. I would love to express my opinion on this matter more. I would love to write a book. I would love to to set up a business. I would love to to change just the way I I dress even. Or or, or I'd love to change the the, the way I I go about my life. I would love to to start a new organization or, or to initiate something new. And you're waiting and you're waiting on permission. And God is saying, Permission granted. 
You're waiting and you're praying and you're waiting for somebody to ask you to do it or you're waiting for somebody else to start it so that you can join them or you're praying for another sign. Lord, I need another prophetic word. Uh, You're waiting for angels to river dance on the duvet telling you what to do and God is saying to you, you're not going to get any more permission because permission has already been granted. Maybe you're waiting for permission from another person. Maybe the non-permission came from somebody in your past. Maybe the non-permission came from a parent or a teacher who said something to you and 20, 30, 40 years later, that person is not maybe even in your life and you can still hear their words. You can't do that. You would never do that. Don't be ridiculous. Maybe it's the opinions of other people. What would they think? What would they say? They'd laugh at me. I mean, what would my neighbours say? I feel so stupid. But in many cases, do you know what it is? It's the voice of our, in our own heads. It's that voice that plays over and over again, and it says things like this. Who do you think you are? Thinking you could do something like that. You write a book? Who would want to read anything you would ever want to write? You, you express an opinion. Like seriously, other people are so much better than you at that. And you feel inadequate and you feel inferior. It's called the imposter syndrome. And I think every single one of us, no matter how confident we look on the outside or how gifted we seem, we all suffer where we feel we're an imposter. We feel like like we're not good at it. If people really found out what we were like, we feel like we don't deserve the, the things in our lives that have been good, they were just luck. They were just chance. We just got it lucky. But actually, we have nothing to contribute. We feel like an imposter in life. Can I tell you, I have felt that. I have experienced that in so many times in my life. And I guarantee you have too. But two and a half, three years ago, I decided I wanted to learn Instagram. I'd been on Facebook like most people, and I had heard all the kids talk about the gram. And so I, I thought I'm going to set up an Instagram account. And uh, I set up this account. It was called Daily Prophetic. That's what, my name wasn't anywhere near. There were no photos of me on anywhere near. And I just, I thought, you know what, God, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, God, what do you want to say to your people? And I'm going to write it down and I'm going to post it. And that's what I started doing. And it got traction and it grew quickly and it got traction and it grew quickly. But nobody knew who it was doing it. And I didn't tell any of my friends. I didn't tell anyone it was me. And then one day, I made a mistake. I didn't realize that Facebook and Instagram were connected. And somehow I pressed some button that told everyone who I know on Facebook that I was doing this daily prophetic site. And if you'd have seen me trying to press every button to stop this thing happening and trying to undo it, but I couldn't undo it. So you know what I did? I went through and blocked every person individually from going, there's some of them, like, like people like Paul Reid said to me a while ago, I can't get onto your page. That was because I blocked him two and a half years ago and I've forgotten to unblock him. Um, but, uh, but I was just, like my whole thing was, who do I think I am to think that anyone would want to read anything I have to say? And that went on for maybe six, nine months. And then two things happened in the space of a week. 
Somebody messaged me from America and they said, Craig, this past week I was going to commit suicide and I read one of your posts and it pulled me back from the edge. And then a girl locally who had slipped through the net, a friend of mine who I've known for years, a wonderful godly Christian leader, messaged me and said that her, her sister had been in a, uh, an abusive relationship for 10 years and they'd read something that I had written and the next day she was going to a women's shelter to get help. And in those moments, God said to me, Craig, it's time to come out of hiding. It's time to stop thinking you have nothing to say. It's time to express what I have put within you. And out of that, there's been books and there's been blah, blah, blah. But it started with this, and I still feel it, this sense of inadequacy and insecurity and this sense of other people are so much more gifted than I am. And I know in a setting like this in the church, people look at the one up at the front and think they're so much more gifted than I am. I want to say I look at many of you and I think the same. And I look at many people and I think they have, if only I was as knowledgeable or as articulate or as good at, at leading a church as them. We all have that imposter syndrome. And God has put something within us and he is trying to get it out of us. Let's look at this passage from 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon has just finished building the temple in Jerusalem. They've brought in the Ark of the Covenant, the place where God dwelt among his people. And as the Ark has been brought in and there's worship, God's glory comes in a cloud. God's presence comes and the priestesses are overwhelmed and they can't even stand. And, uh, and it's this wonderful, wonderful scene. And uh, let's look at verses 17 to 19. Oh, so, yeah, so, so Solomon, as, the, as, as God's presence falls, Solomon turns to the people and this is what he prays. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, you did well to have it in your heart to build a temple for my name. Nevertheless, you're not the one to build a temple, but your son, your own flesh and blood, he is the one who will build a temple for my name. This incredible temple that is filled with the glory and the presence of God. When God fills something with his glory and his presence, do you know what he's saying? I love that. I love that. I'm really happy to live there. When God didn't love something, his glory departed. Remember, there's this word Ichabod in the Old Testament. The glory of the Lord has departed. So when God is dwelling there, when his presence is there, he said, I love this. This wonderful temple, this building that was just incredible for the glory of God. Whose idea was it? Was it God's idea? No. It was David's idea. Look at verse 17 again. My father David had it in his heart to build a temple. The temple wasn't God's idea. It didn't start in God's heart. It started in David's heart. We read about this in 2 Samuel 7. Look at verses 1 to 3 with me. After the king, thus David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you. David builds a beautiful temple for himself. 
It's absolute luxury. And one day he's sitting and he's thinking, you know what, this isn't right. The Ark of the Covenant where God dwells, it's in a tent and here I am in a house in a beautiful palace. I want to build something more glorious for God. I want to build something incredible for God. And so he says to Nathan the prophet, this is what I want to do. And Nathan basically says in the message version, crack on big lad, this sounds like a good idea. But then later that night, Nathan the prophet has a dream. And he's told to go back to David and tell him something. Look at verses 12 and 13. When your days are over and you, and, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God shows up and this is what he says. I love the idea, but I'm going to tweak it a bit. I love that this is in your heart, but I'm just going to change things a little bit. Instead of you building the temple, David... Your son Solomon is going to build it. And David spends the rest of his life gathering construction stuff and putting in plans so that when it's Solomon's time, everything is ready. Here's the point I want to get across. This great temple in Jerusalem, this temple that is central to the worship of God's people in the Holy Land for centuries, this did not get started in God's heart. It was birthed out of David's heart. You see, David was God's idea, but the temple was David's idea. When God formed David, the temple was put in David's heart. And when God formed you, he put things in your heart. Psalm 139 says this, For you knit me together in my mother's womb. Before the days ordained for me, they were written in your book. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God created you with passions and drives and desires and things that you're good at and gifts and talents and abilities and so much. And he has put those into your heart and he wants to get them out. He wants you to express what he has put within you. And you might look and go, but Craig, you're talking about permission granted here. God told David not to do it. Kind of defeats your point, Craig. No, it doesn't. That is my point, is that David had this on his heart. It was his idea. He started it, and God stopped him and went, you know what, I love that, and we're still going to do it, but we're going to tweak it. We're gonna, uh, he redirects it. He doesn't say, don't do it. He redirects it. Do you know what I've discovered? That God is able to stop me if I go, I'm heading the wrong direction. That God is able to stop me from making wrong decisions. But what's, here's what's harder for God. Not that anything's difficult, but you know what I mean, my point. It's much harder for God to get me going when I'm sitting on my blessed assurance doing nothing. Once I'm moving, it's like a car. It's much easier to steer a car that's moving than one that's sitting still. And once you're moving, if your heart and your desire is to honor God, is to glorify God with your life, do you know what? He will steer you. He will lead you. He will direct you. If it's wrong, he can stop you. If it's not quite right, he can divert you. If it isn't the right time, he can delay you. David lived with a green light mentality. Most Christians live with a red light mentality. A red light mentality is this. I'll assume that, the, that God says no until I get a big 
massive yes. Our friends up in CFC in Belfast wrote a song a few years ago. And and the chorus says this, I'm going to live every day as if you say yes until you say no. Didn't love the tune, but I love the words, okay? I'm going to live every day as if you say yes until you say no. Most Christians live like this. I'm going to live every day as if you say no until you say yes. If your heart, if your desire, if your purpose, if your motive is to live for God and honor him, God would say permission granted. I can stop you. I can divert you. I can, I can uh, change you, your direction. But you need to move. Have you ever been at traffic lights? Where there's a car in front of you and the car's red? Uh, the traffic light's red. And then the light turns green and the car in front of you doesn't move on. I'm sure you're more polite than me. I just, we, we flick the lights, you know? Just the lights green. Or maybe just a wee gentle. You know. What if they don't move then? That's where I get road rage, okay? It's just fruit of the spirit, road rage. Uh, that's where I go, sorry for the people at home. And I say, I've been known to say something like this. The light's never going to get any more green than it is now. And then I realize there's somebody from Hope. And I'm like, bless you. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. There's no rush. You know, there's no rush. And I think sometimes God's doing this. We're waiting for a green light. And God's saying, it's never going to be any more green than it is right now. Get moving. Stop living as if life has a red light when actually I have given you a green light. David lived with this green light. God never told David to fight Goliath. Did you notice that? This great battle that we always learn about. Nowhere do I see that David prayed. He shows up at the battle. This big bloke gets out. Nobody wants to fight. David says, I'll take him. And God backed him up. God never told Nehemiah to build the walls. Nehemiah hears that the walls in Jerusalem are broken down. His heart is broken. He's, he's, he's just devastated. And he goes and builds the walls. And God backs him up. I think God is just waiting to back you up. But there's got to be something to back you up for. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about things. We do pray about things. We have a lot of prayer in this church. We have prayer teams. We have intercession teams. We pray a lot. We pray a lot as a family. We're a praying church, okay? But what I am saying is this, that sometimes prayer becomes an excuse for passivity or procrastination. Prayer becomes an excuse for doing nothing or for waiting longer, and nothing ever gets done. We look and sound spiritual, but actually we're just too scared to make a move in case it doesn't work out. We're, we're waiting for clarity, and most of the time when we're waiting for clarity, we don't need clarity. You know what? We need courage, because we already have the clarity. We just need the courage to actually do what God wants us to do. I found a website a while ago called Lark News. It's kind of a bit like the Babylon Bee, one of those satirical kind of Christian sites. And uh, this was quite funny. This was a headline in Lark News. Man 91 dies waiting for the will of God. Walter Houston, described by family members as a devoted Christian, died on Monday after 70 years of waiting for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. His wife Ruby said this, he hung around the house and prayed a lot, but just never got that confirmation he was looking for. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, but then he wouldn't be sure and he'd start the process all over again. 
Walter, she says, never really figured out what his life was about, but felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord. Whenever he was about to take action, he would pull back because he didn't want to disappoint God or go against him in any way, Ruby says. He was very sensitive to always remain in God's will. Friends said that they liked Walter, though he never seemed to capitalize on his talents. His longtime friend Timothy Byrne said Walter had a number of skills that he never got around to using. He worked really well with wood. He had a storyteller side to him too. I always told him, take a risk. Try something new if you're not happy. But he was too afraid of letting the Lord down. That sounds ridiculous, and yet I meet Christians who live a form of that. That they spend their lives waiting for direction and praying for direction and waiting for signs and waiting for somebody else to give them permission. And God is saying permission granted. Otherwise, you will never actually do it. The Apostle Paul also lived with the green light mentality. Let's look at Acts 16 as we finish. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are on what we call the second missionary journey. They're traveling around Europe. They're bringing the gospel. They're strengthening churches. They're, they're building into leaders, all really good stuff. Look at what we read in Acts 16, 6 and 7. Paul and his companions, thus Silas and Timothy, traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Messia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. Do you know what I get from this passage? Paul and Silas didn't pray before they left. Their theory was this, preaching the gospel and strengthening churches is a really good thing, so let's get moving. And so they head to the first place that seems to be right, the province of Asia, and it says the Holy Spirit stopped them. It literally means the Holy Spirit forbid them or prevented them. We don't know why that happened. Was it an inward? We don't know. But the Holy Spirit stopped them. Was there opposition? We don't know. The Holy, and so they, 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 don't, they don't go, okay, well, I guess we'll go home then. God said no. They just alter the course. They go to the next place. They try to enter Bithynia. And again, the Holy Spirit stops them. Now, I don't get this. Like, these are guys trying to share the gospel and strengthen churches, you know. If they were selling, like, drugs and beating up kids, I can understand the Holy Spirit stopping them. But they're wanting to do something good. But again, they don't give up. They plan to keep on moving. And then the Apostle Paul has a dream and there's a man from Macedonia in the dream saying, come over here and help us. You don't need a dream interpreter for that. And they go, we decided that the Lord wanted us to go to Macedonia. They go there, they preach the gospel, there's a harvest. They meet a woman called Lydia in a city called Philippi, and the gospel reaches Europe for the first time. And there's a church established in Philippi, which is why we have the book of Philippians. You see, God stopped them twice. Not because he didn't want them to go there. Not because those Asia and Bithynia didn't need the gospel. But because there was somewhere else that had priority. And sometimes God closes doors in our lives. Not to stop us moving. But just to redirect us to somewhere else that's better. Some, you know the song, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Sometimes I thank God for closed doors. If God didn't close some doors in my life, I would have spent years in a room I was never meant to be in. And sometimes God will close doors not to stop you and send you home, but to redirect you to something better. Closed doors are not a sign that God doesn't want you to do something. It's a sign that God has something better for you. He wants to redirect you. He wants to steer you. 
Most of us are standing at the door going, Lord, would you open the door? Lord, if this is the right door, let it open. Lord, please, if this is the right door, or if this is the wrong door, close it. And God's going, have you turned the handle? Like, have you turned the handle? Because I can't open a door. Like, I'm not going to physically come down and open. Turn the handle and see if it's open or closed. You know, with the Church of Ireland for many years, from about 16, I felt called to to church ministry, to do what I'm doing now. And I kept putting it off. And there were certain theological issues I had around the Church of Ireland, and that was my, my denomination, but I kept putting it off and kept putting it off. And I felt God eventually just say this in my mid-twenties, just push the door, Craig. Just push the door. And so I said, God, I'm going to push this door, and I want you to stop me at any, any step of the way. And I pushed it, and it opened, and it opened, and it opened. But he could have stopped me anyway. Some of us are standing waiting for God to open. And he said, push the door, turn the handle, and let's see what's on the other side. Let's be honest, most of us don't like it when God closes the door. You know, we can say like, oh, I'm sure there was a reason God closed it. But when you apply for a job, you want to get the job. When you put an offer in a house you really like, you want to get the house. When you invest in a relationship, you want it to work out. When a door closes, it stings. It bruises our ego. It, it can break our hearts. We don't like it. But what I have learned is this. Closed doors are just as much a sign of God's involvement and care in our lives as open doors. As a father to a son, there's times I say no. Not because I don't love him or care for him, but because I really, really do. And I know it's not best. And some of us, I believe, even sitting here today or watching online, have had closed doors recently. Something that you had put hopes in, that you thought was going to work out, hasn't worked out. And I know that you're struggling, even as you listen to me. And I believe the Lord is going to say to you today that that he closed that door for a purpose. And you will not see it right now. And you may never see it, but trust that he closed that door for a purpose. What if the devil deceives me, Craig? I hear that all the time. It's okay, this, you know, you've got a green light, but what if the devil deceives me? My answer to that is that most Christians put more weight on the devil's ability to deceive them than on the power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide them. Who lives inside you, the devil or the Holy Spirit? Please, this should not be a difficult question, Okay. If it's the devil, go to the back. They'll minister to you down there. You can growl or whatever you do. But the Holy Spirit lives within you. Jesus said before he went to the cross in John 16, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into truth. The Holy Spirit who lives within you wants to guide you, wants to lead you, wants to direct you. But what if I make a mistake, Craig? What if I, oh, Craig, what if I take a job and it's the wrong job? I hear things like this all the time. You know what I say? Stay there and apply for other jobs. What, what if I do the wrong course at university? Change your course. What if I buy a house and, 
in, in, in Portadown and I want to move to Lurgan. Don't do it. Okay, that, you don't need to pray. There's some things you don't need to pray about. That's one of them. The Lord wants you in Portadown. But seriously, we're so scared of making mistakes. We want guarantees up front. God, God doesn't give us those. God never gave us the, the five-year plan. Do you know what he said? I'll go with you. I'll not give you a map. I'll get in the car with you. And I'll guide you and I'll lead you. I've made so many mistakes in my life. Collectively in this room, collectively all of us. Imagine like all the mistakes we've made. Like some of you more than me. But, but, but like, like imagine all of those stupid decisions we have made. And you know what? We're still here. We're still here. And you know what that tells me? It tells me that Romans 8, 28 is true. For in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Those who have been called according to his purpose. In some things, in the good things, no, in all things. It doesn't mean God sends all things. It doesn't mean all things are good. But it means even the things that aren't good, if you love God, if you're a son or daughter of God, he takes them and he recycles them and does something beautiful with them. And I am so glad. I am so, so glad. You know, the last year we've been told you can't do this, you can't do that. We've been waiting for permission for everything. You can go here, you can't go here. Can I go to the supermarket? Can I go to the shops? Can I go to church? Can I go on holidays? Can I do? And we've been we, And you know what that starts to do after a while when you mix up with fear? It makes you withdraw into passivity and, and, and defensiveness. And I think God is wanting to break us out of that at the minute and say, you know what? Green light. You've got a green light. Permission granted. Do not live curled up in a ball fearful for the rest of your life. I came to give you life and life in all its fullness. And that is not a contained or constricted life. That is a life in which you express everything I have put within you. Would you grab me that bag, Becky? Sorry, I forgot to bring that up. Thank you, my beautiful hostess. (laughs) If you were watching last week, if you were here last week, you'd have heard me talking about I was going to take up running. I'd ordered the gear from Amazon. Let me show you what I got. I've got a running jacket. This is, no, this is all arrived this week. Running jacket. Another running top jacket thing. Another running top. And three more running tops. Somebody said, if you're not going to wear anything in your bottom half, I am, I promise. <laughs> I've got all the gear. Do you know what I just need to do now? What do I need to do? Run! I've got all the gear. I've got everything I need. I've got two legs. I've got the more tops than any man needs to run. You know what I just need to do? Run. You know what you need to do? You've got all the gear. You've got everything God has equipped you to do. You lack nothing in Christ. He has put so much in you. He has put stuff in your heart. He's given you dreams, desires and goals. You know what you just need to do? Permission granted.